Welcome listeners to the 26th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt, with me as always are my wonderful co-hosts, powerful wizards Robinson Sien and Christoffer Wikström. The very best of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, friends. Hello, everybody. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck app. In today's episode, we will, as usual, report back from the Paper Legacy we've played in the past week. Then we have a slightly overdue look at the latest Magic the Gathering expansion, Crimson Vow. Does it have anything for Legacy? We shall see. But before Vampire Weekly, we shall look at the Paper Play. The metagame from last week's Paper Play in Stockholm looked a bit like this. Two copies of D&T, one on the Yorian, 160. One black-red reanimator, one spicy reanimator. Someone's gonna have to explain that to me later on. Painter, goblins, Espeorn, four color control, eight walla, blue-white affinity, bant and lands. So, as per usual, pretty diverse metagame. Uh, can someone please explain to me what spicy reanimator was, as obviously I was not present in the room to gather this information myself. So I played a, a pretty fast deck, so I had a, a lot of time to just walk around and, you know, watch what people were up to. And I stumbled upon the reanimator mirror, and from what I could see, one of the reanimator players had Emrakul and was not a tin fence deck, from what I saw. What? It, it, I can I can have it, like, it could be mean, like, not getting it. I'm not sure, like, the player usually plays a lot of Mast decks with Reanimator sub-themes, but it, this looked more Reanimator-heavy than, than that player usually is. So I'm uh, I'm not really sure what I saw there, but it looked extremely spicy. It's, it's hard to categorize. When I was doing the meta wrap-up, I was like, what is that? I'm just gonna call it spicy reanimator. It's gonna get people riled up. Was it blue and black? Yeah, it was like three or four oh, colors. So this could have been like, I mean, there has been some people running show and tell off of the sideboard, but then again, you would not bring in show and tell in the mirror, uh, <laughs> I guess. That seems uh, suboptimal. No, that's pretty risky. I, I'm not really sure what I saw, but it it looked extremely fun. And yeah, and this was also in the third round, so they were both 2-0 at this point <laughs> so it was, uh, cool. it was funny this is amazing uh so uh i mean that's a, that's a spicy tournament uh, right there i mean you don't need to have any other decks uh, at the table to to make it uh, <laughs> a truly stockholmian week but i'm gonna ask anyway robin how did you do in this tournament uh, i was not one of the spiciest persons because i brought the old trustworthy band miracles to the local game store and i also uh, <laughs> brought my 10 year old son who is uh, learning magic uh, and he was on goblins the upcoming goblin king the upcoming goblin king maybe goblin prince for now <laughs> but uh, i played terribly and uh, i didn't won a single game and i drew against my son uh, who was on Goblins. So, uh, yeah, I faced off against Black Red Reanimator. And, I mean, game one is what game one is against Black Red Reanimator. But in game two, I had a whole bunch of cards in the sideboard to bring in. But I still couldn't beat him because I tried to pick the fight in the wrong, on the wrong spell. And then I got beat up by the Affinity deck. And uh, those games were quite close, but I flooded out in the game three. So, I mean, that was not at least my mistakes, I think. It was more the variance that can happen. 
And then there was a grind fest against goblins, and we played three long games that we didn't have time to finish. And then uh, in the in the final in the final round, I was up against four color control and just got smashed 2-0. So yeah, that was uh, quite a beating for me. Do you have like uh, so? There's there's this thing in Sweden called uh, lördagsgodis. Yep. Uh, which is like Saturday candy. Do you have like lördags godis leverage when you're playing against your son? Like <laughs> this is the first day. In two days it's lördags godis. Are you sure that you want to beat me? <laughs> Are you sure that you are swinging with your goblin lackey? Or do you want Are you really candy? swinging? <laughs> <laughs> Think about the candy. No, no. Yeah, that's, that's really rough. I, I guess that you can have those days sometimes. Because the Bantek is extremely well tuned against... To, to beat Delver and stuff like that. And yeah, look at our meta this week. Not a single Delver. I think the like the artifact dicts are quite rough and the goblins can be rough if you don't... I mean, if, if I, I got mana screwed in one game, for instance, I po- uh, pondered it twice and then got wastelanded and couldn't, couldn't <laughs> find more lands. You taught your son well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Get him. I, I'm proud of him. Clearly, you, you bring home the trophy of parent of the week. Yeah, exactly. That's something I didn't bring any in any wins though. But um, one nice thing is that I have uh, finished, or at least almost finished, eight cast deck that I've been building ever since the nationals, and uh, I'm ready to take it to the to the tournament for next Thursday. That's gonna be cool. That's great to hear. So, what about you, Christopher? Did you get any W's down? In this spicy cauldron of uh, Stockholm. I usually, you know, if you've been listening to the cast, you know, I play. Slow, grindy, mid-rangey, sometimes with a combo in there. Only one combo in there. Only one combo in there a lot of times. So like a lot of people keep grindy or very efficient hands against me. So I brought Eitwala for this tournament, which is the polar opposite of what I usually do. This is pretty much the Belcher, but instead of shooting them for 20 in the face, you're kind of lighting their shoes on fire with a lot of gasoline. And then over two free turns, it's 20. My first round was against Lance, which is a, a pretty terrible matchup, I think, because they have tabernacles, wastelands, mazes, you name it. But yeah, sometimes you just go mountain, lead, double walla, Angie pass, and the opponent doesn't have like a good way to get rid of the Angies, doesn't find tabernacle, and you just start hitting them and draw a lot of cards and like just incremental value over a couple of turns will kill the lance player if they don't find like that tabernacle so that's pretty much what happened game one in game two you know i my opponent goes you know classic land start you know some exploration play a field or something out there and i still have like a really stupid hand i go like the imp that you get to discard cards with and uh, an led and i force uh, I force him to crack an endurance because I'm I'm threatening the the discard imp, Andrew's Ravager, and a Vengevine. And they're thinking, I can't take all of this damage. They pop endurance. And like four turns later, we just beat downs. They're dead. <laughs> this card, like Andrew's Ravager is so disgusting in this deck. It's unbelievably good. Then I play against DNT. And, you know, this is a learning experience for me. This is the first real, like, real tournament where I pick up the deck. I don't have that many reps. But, you know, so I keep one of those sketchy hands <laughs> in game one. And I have this once upon a time, which is the biggest trap in the universe. 
so I, I cast it, and I'm thinking, if I get to hit a Vengevine or an Angie's Ravager or something, it's going to be great. I have LED, I have Anger, and I have a Walla. So I have a lot of really good draws here. So I played uh, Once Upon a Time, and my best draw, uh, pick is another Walla. <laughs> so long story short, I play all my things out, crack lead, and hit him for six <laughs> or something like that. And he plays turn one Mother of Runes, <laughs> which is pretty good against my Walla plan. I hit him for four, and he plays a Stoneforge Mystic, get Batter Skull, and I'm thinking we, we should go to game two. <laughs> Game two and three is probably some of the craziest games that I've ever had in terms of, you know, power level, like what the deck can do. And especially against a deck like Death and Taxes that needs a couple of turns to get up and running to to be able to defend themselves. So in game two, I go Taiga, Lead, Looting, put two Vengevine in the graveyard, play LED. Oh yeah, I, I played LED. Crack it to put an Anji and Walla onto the, like into play, trigger the Vengevines, attack for eight, my opponent draws a cards and scoops. Wow. <laughs> so it was pretty much a turn one kill. And uh, game three was pretty similar. Like, the opponent goes Plains Vile. And I'm thinking, that's cool. Mana acceleration, everything. I draw a card, play Mountain, Lead, Crack for free green. Discard Anger, two Vengevine, Basking Root, Walla, and Angie's Ravager. So I pay for Angie's with the land that I played, but also pump the Root Walla and swing for 14 damage, drawing three cards. Post combat main phase, play a hollow one and pass the turn. That's idiotic. My opponent draws a card and scoops. And like, yeah, after the game, throughout the whole evening, my, my DNT opponent was just walking around like a shell of, <laughs> of his former self, muttering, that's the worst defeat I've had in years. Like, I've never felt this defeated. And I get that. Like, that, that last game... When you go, you know, turn one vile, you're thinking that this might be a, a hand where I get to, you know, either play rest in peace or another really strong card game, to, like turn two. And then you get hit for 14 and your opponent has like 18 power turn two. I mean, as a DNT player, I can I can just sort of put myself in your opponent's shoes and sort of what do you do? It's like if that's your turn one, I can't really think of anything that would help. I really think like in game two and three, I had like the nuts. You think? <laughs> like, especially like in game three, you know, it's uh, it's just super disgusting. And these are not the hands that, that you regularly see, but it's one of the reasons why you have cards like once upon a time to, you know, your, your turn one LED is so crucial in this deck mm -hmm. and being able to just dig five cards deeper before cracking it usually results in you know, you getting another Angie's Ravager into play or trigger a Vengevine or, you know, maybe you find, like, maybe you don't hit super hard or like a super good creature, but you might find an Ox of Agonas, which you just, if they eventually solve the things you have presented, you're still like putting a really big creature and drawing free cards in place. It's, it's, it's really sweet. Like, uh, the deck is, is really well-tuned, I think. What I like most about this deck is that it, it utilizes a couple of cards you just mentioned that I really like as cards sort of in and of themselves, like Once Upon a Time, Ox of Agonas. These are cards I really like for some reason. I, I think there's sort of... You've always been sort of... These cards are probably possible to break hard somehow. 
But before the eight Wala deck, I didn't really see that happening. Uh, sort of as central, especially the Ox. People have been trying it. But now I think finally we have a home for this awesome card. And I'm happy to see it. I really believe in the in the Ox thing that you said. Because I, I picked them up for Lead Dredge. But when you're, when you're doing the Escape 8, which is brutal. Like eight cards, sure. Dredge get a lot of a, a lot of junk into the graveyard but a lot of times you have to like the eight cards escaping ox in dredge can sometimes be a real cost like a real a real pain but in this like it's pretty much anger <laughs> in your graveyard that you don't want to get rid of and maybe some faithless looting or venge vines else it's just you know like yeah, all of the other creatures or whatever's there already. Just eat it up. It's done its thing. Yeah. So it's not that much thinking. There are some very distinct lines. And when you have picked your path, you got to commit to it. And then it's just about optimizing your mana. I think it's quite cool that uh, that Legacy has been getting more and more of these really fast decks that feel a bit vintagey almost. And I'm, I'm thinking about Eight Walla, but also like the artifact decks that get get onto the battlefield really quick. And also like how how some of the answers from Vintage maybe will find its home in Legacy. I mean, there are more pitch cards now, right? With the with the Solitude and the Force of Vigor and all of that. And and also like Delver decks playing Gutshot to to like get get a tempo advantage and still kill a creature on turn one and all of that. Yeah, get that surveillance, kill the the monkey. But yeah. So really, really high speed format uh, when you think about these sort of new decks that really get onto the board quick. And like if you have a slow start with lands or DNT or something like that, you are screwed. And that's, that's kind of like what the sentiment of my opponent was here. Uh, like this person is, is a super good DNT player. I've seen this player play D&T for years and years. And that person saying, you know, I've never felt this defeated in years mm. with a deck that I played, like my, my second like sanctioned game ever, like my second sanctioned match just shows how incredibly strong this deck is. It didn't, it didn't need to be a player who has played Legacy for a really long time to be able to pull that, that shit off, if you do, if you hear me. But yeah, so... Then I, I went on to play against the Blue-White Affinity with Ursa. You know, I learned nothing from my previous match, so I keep a kind of sketchy hand leaning into Once Upon a Time. And pretty much the exact same thing happened. You know, I put two Wallas into play. And this time, they still have haste, but, you know, my opponent goes like turn three Nettle Cyst, which is a 5-5. Five five. And then the turn after just plays an Ursa. And, you know, the Ursa and Nettle Cyst see each other. I think they both become 7-7 seven, seven or something. And I was just not feeling it. <laughs> Scoop them up. Game two, you know, this is pretty interesting. My opponent is was banking a lot of Surgical Extraction. And Surgical can be really good depending on how much your hand, like your opening hand, leans into Vengevine. Yeah. And in both of my hands... Uh, like in game two and three, I was kind of leaning into Vengevine and got surgical. But, you know, I do I do the same uh, kind of, you know, um, let's see where this goes. You know, you play the imp and you start, you know, discarding Vengevine, land and lead. Just cards you don't, you might not need for your just like specific hand configuration. Uh, because I wanted to play a hollow one for free and trigger my Vengevine. 
And of course, my <laughs> opponent surgically extracts it. And it's kind of funny. My opponent's just taking a beating because their hand is super awkward. And I still have, you know, hollow one and eventually a threshold imp, <laughs> which is, is really good. You know, you're starting starting to hit pretty pretty hard pretty quick. But eventually... Uh, my opponent stabilizes, has like an arcbound ravager and two Esper Sentinels in play. So we like I can't attack with my Hollow One anymore because my opponent could eat the board and just kill the Hollow One and then start swinging. So I was just sitting there, uh, you know, pitching one card a turn to, to my imp to give it flying because it already had a threshold. So I, I got him from eight to six and then played a second imp to present lethal and uh, it was beautiful like the imps get there wow. flying is strong game three my opponent mulligans to four and uh, i keep a seven they play you know ancient ancient then pass i do the same thing you know land lead imp crack discard two wallas anger and vengevine my opponent surgicals the vengevine again so if we take a look back at what i have i have an imp and two wallas <laughs> in play but you know i use the the mana uh, for the LED to just pump the wallas. I had an anger, so I get to start hitting really hard, really quick. And, uh, you know, eventually my opponent, you know, mulling, mulling to four and keeping a surgical hand. It's not going to be a pretty game. Like, eventually I, I drew a, one of my ancient grudges that I sideboarded in, which is pretty good against blue white affinity on a mull to four. Uh, at this point, I'm 3 0, and then I'm playing black red reanimator which is uh, the deck I was the most scared to play in the whole room. It's a faster graveyard deck. And uh, the list that I'm trying has a really dedicated sideboard to beat Black Red because it's such a terrible matchup. In game one, you know, both player knows what, what the other person is on. We sat next to each other and uh, like earlier in the evening and we both just did nasty things to our opponents. <laughs> You know, I was sitting next to this person when I was playing D&T. So the 14 damage on turn one play post hollow, like post combat hollow one. Yeah, he saw all of that. So he knew what was up. And I saw turn one Grizzlebrand draw 14. My opponent keeps a very sketchy hand game one. And I get to, you know, play a turn one imp, discard three cards, one of them being an anger, and just putting two hollow ones into play and smacking for nine. Whoa. And eventually that's enough. So like the game one, which I'm most scared of, actually played out really well. Yeah, man, that, that must be like one of the few openings that can beat Black Red Reanimator since you don't have any interaction. Just like get them dead as fast as possible. I, I guess that it can become a really weird dance if, if especially if, if the Walla player's on the play and you smack them for nine. If they reanimate Grizzlebrand, then they are, let's see, they take eight from reanimate. So then they should be down to three. And the only thing that I don't need to do, if I don't attack, they can't attack. Because if they attack, I got lethal. <laughs> so it's a super weird, weird thing. And they can't draw extra cards either. Can't they attack and gain life? Uh, they can, but then they're dead on the swing back. You know, for game two and three, and yeah, this is spoiler, I lose game two. <laughs> I bring in four ley lines, three endurance, and three bone shards. Oh my god. You know, I gotta beat them. What do I do? 
I, I, I decided to remove the Burning Increase because it's not super good if both me and my opponent discards free, like free cards, draws free and discards free at random. Uh, it feels like I'm kind of holding the BR reanimator's hand a bit. <laughs> like here, pick up this sword and just chop my head off with whatever creature you got. <laughs> it's like anything's going to be good enough. But I also take out the Oxus and Hollow Ones. The Oxus was kind of a weird choice, but I don't want to put it in a graveyard for them to reanimate yep. or some yep. some some shit like that. It's it's uh, yeah, you gotta be careful about that. So my opponent just fought seats me, takes my lead, which kind of makes the rest of my hand quite awkward. And I have one of those hands where you know I do play some faithless lootings. None of us are really going for it. But then my opponent picks a really good spot to reanimate Grizzlebrand, which is after I have made two Wallace and an Andrew's Ravager. So my, my opponent decides to animate dead Grizzlebrand because Andrew's Ravager have to attack each combat. So they get a free eat your Andrew's gain six life with the animate dead that it was on. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm gonna double down. So I played another one. Because, you know, you have to kind of raise it. Like, attack with everything, pump as much as you got. Like, just just go for it. But, yeah, spoiler alert, I did not win that game. Like, my opponent just blocked with Grizzlebrand two turns in a row with Andrew's Ravager. Like, blocked my Ravagers. And then just reanimated Archon of Cruelties. And I looked at my life total and like, yeah, that's one swing lethal with both of his creatures next turn. That's it. That's the thing with your Archon. It, I mean, it, it sort of it's you, massive. You don't realize it in the beginning, like it accelerates your game so much. Like just putting it into play is a swing for six life. Yeah. And then some. It's a yeah, like fantastic card. ETB in one combat is 12 damage. Yep. It's, uh, it's insane. But it's also like, it's not hymn, but it's mind rot. And then it's divination. Like if it's if it's enter the battlefield in one swing, it's just like four card difference, six card, uh, six life. Uh, you know, it's it's just like I don't know how many people actually survived an Archon of Cruelties connect after you know ETB. That card does so much work in that deck. Yeah, it's I I, I really like it. I think it's such a great addition. It's choosing between that and, and like Grave Titan. They kind of do different things, but I feel like I would almost always want to go for the Arkan just for the potential upside. I mean, having played Black Red Reanimator for some time, I do love resolving a Grave Titan, but that's just because I love Grave Titan so much. I think it's probably one of the top three coolest creatures in the game because it's just such a massive thing that makes zombies for you and it has Death Touch to boot. Yeah, and sick art. But the Archon, the Archon, and sick art. But the Archon is just so much better on every front. It's massive. It does everything you want a card to do in that deck. Yeah. So how did you win game three? Yeah, game three was pretty pretty interesting. So I have a pre-game effect. And this pre-game effect, my opponent did not sideboard any card in to deal with. Because the, there was no ley line to be seen in game two. So why should you expect it in game three? But my opponent did saw endurance and might think that that's the only like avenue. Right. So long story short, my opponent and I, you know, I I go land LED madness Andrews and Walla and just pass. Uh, you know, I'm 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 getting there for for a turn if I have to. Just draw some cards, have a good time. My opponent just goes land petal pass. 
So I draw my card, play. I think I drew a land. I, I attack, draw free, play a looting. I do some stuff. And I'm starting to build up a board presence. Play another Ravager, I think, also. It's just, you know, things are going really smoothly at this point. And my opponent goes really into the tank. And is, is muttering something like, if only I had a little bit more mana. <laughs> but then decides to go decides to go Dark Ritual, animate your dead animate dead one of your Venge Vines that you have in your graveyard. I can't remember if this like turn three or four or something like that. Maybe turn three. Animate dead one of your Venge Vines. Reanimate your other Venge Vine that you have in your graveyard, which was like I had set up for the next turn to like get them. So now I need to trade off like some creatures <laughs> to start like keep keep the damage going but yeah the the thing that my opponent was trying to do was hard cast archon mm. of cruelties which they was with all of the mana in their hand i think two mana away from doing mm. and they just couldn't take another like swing i think i was attacking with at this point like one angie's two wallas and i could pump one so it yeah it's 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 not good to sit there and wait even if you draw the draw the uh, the mana that you need might not even do it if if you're bleeding too much up to that point it's very unlikely because you gain free and i lose a creature but you know eventually i just get to do some nasty things i think i boarded in an ox again and i just cracked lead to play an ox and get venge finds into play wow and uh, because they traded out so yeah it was it was pretty nice and uh, for a 4-0 this deck is, you know, extremely sweet. It's a really weird angle uh, for non-force decks uh, to play against, I think, because it's it's this super aggressive deck where force of will is extremely powerful. Being able to force the LED or like some other stupid thing, like uh, Angie's Ravager, it's it's super crucial. This deck is extremely fun if you have some leds <laughs> the rest of the cards aren't really that expensive maybe maybe the duels but i think it's yeah it's only playing four duels the list i'm playing so i'll link the list that i played on discord uh, so check it out it was extremely fun to play yeah, i mean if robin won parent of the week you are gonna get lizard man of the week uh, congratulations <laughs> Now let's return once more to my favorite plane in Magic the Gathering, Innistrad, the home of Delver's Secrets, the card that changed legacy forever but currently sees itself being cut from its own deck. I have ranted before on our podcast about the epic lore fails uh, in the second iteration of Innistrad, so I'm not gonna do that again. This is third installment with the Midnight Cunt and now Crimson Vow leaves me conflicted, I have to say. I mean, on the one hand, the art direction for this set, I think, and the interaction with the mechanics is really well executed. Uh, it, it's it's nice, nice work, I would say. At the same time, though, this set has nothing new to offer to Innistrad. And that would be fine if this was a sequel, but this is a reset. It's it's They're sort of doing Innistrad again in the same way, only it's not new anymore. Uh, and uh, having nothing new to offer, and since sort of... 
I mean, story-wise, of course, this is a new story, and you know, I'm I'm a lot into the story and the lore, but I can't get excited about something that sort of I know is a replacement for something else. Uh, I'm I'm sorry about that. I feel no investment at all in this, and I mean, I imagine for players who were not around for Innistrad in September of 2011, ten years ago, this might be an awesome set, and I'm happy for them. For me, sadly, it does not spark joy. But with that said, more importantly, onto the cards. What do we have on our radar for a potential legacy play? Christopher, you are the house brewer. Solve this, please. Yeah, and first, I just want to second what you said about the, you know, they're, they're going back to Innistrad kind of like ignoring a bit what they, what they did, like how their last visit went. Uh, but I, I do agree, like, it doesn't really add that much that wasn't already there. You're still seeing, you know, Audric, Olivia, Geralt, and uh, you're you're seeing things that you've seen earlier. So I, I I agree. Even if the last visit wasn't the cleanest, and like yeah, the Eldrassi shouldn't perhaps be there. <laughs> like it's it's a spooky. Just just go full out Cthulhu instead of bringing you know the spaghetti spaghetti monsters in there. So I, I kind of agree. Like yeah, there's. Um, they kind of went back to formula, and it feels, uh, which is a shame because it's it's a very moody and atmospheric place. So, the house brewer, and now I'm just gonna dive right into like probably the one number one card that people are speculating about from the the uh, different products that are coming out now, and it's from the Crimson Wow Commander, and it's the uh, Shadow Grange Arcfiend. And this is a 7-mana spell, 6 and a black, for an 8-4 creature demon. It has, whenever Shadow Grange Arcfiend enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures they control. You gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures sacrificed this way. But then it also has madness, 2 and a black, pay 8 life. So... This is a card for Eightwala. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way to get rid of Marit or Gristlebrand. You crack LED and you put this into play. Instant speed. Besides that, it's it, it might not really slot into that many other decks. But I think having a kind of wannabe swords to plowshares in a deck that's so aggressive that paying 8 life is not really a cost. Yeah. I think this is super disgusting. So look look let's look at the perks at this card. Sure, it sucks if it gets swords to plowshared. But then you gain a li- eight life back and you're probably hellbent, so it doesn't really matter. But this is the same power as two Venshrines. And this doesn't get bolted. Yeah. It's extremely good against Merktide. And all of the other cards in Delver trades with Walla if you pump it. This is extremely disgusting against Delver if they don't have Dacer Force if it's later in the game. So yeah, I really appreciate it, but it's kind of reliant on LED because free mana, it's not easy to come by otherwise. You need, you probably need the Imp specifically or the the latest edition which came, I think in Modern Horizons 2, which is also, it's a 2-1 free discard outlet i think it gets lifelink until end of turn it's called initiate or something like that cabal initiate can't can't 
exactly remember it, but getting up to free mana and having this as a payoff might not be, you know, the most dreamy spot to be in, but against certain decks, that'll do the trick. So I'm I'm mostly looking at, you know, bringing this in maybe from the sideboard to battle Reanimator, Show and Tell, and perhaps Lance. If if they're making Marit, you'll never beat that like a quick Marit. And you'll never beat their grindy hands anyways with Tabernacle and uh, Mazes. So it's kind of just one extra insurance against a fast Marit from Lance. So that's that's my first pick. Uh, what do you guys think about this card? I really like it. It's cool that it's such a powerhouse with eight power. I mean, that's a really fast clock. And uh, getting it down on turn one is not impossible with the Lion's Eye Diamond. So I'm thinking about how, how big is the black splash in eight Walla and how reasonable is it to power this card out through other means? Yeah, I was going to ask the same. Yeah, so if you're looking at other non led means so the deck that i'm playing is kind of equally going black and green it's playing two taiga two badlands so the other means is either the discard imp which kind of yeah then then you're looking at this at turn three and <laughs> earliest turn three <laughs> like this deck my version played 14 lands so three lands on turn three is pretty it's not guaranteed. It's sometimes sometimes I play a control deck with you know 60 card, 21 lands, and I don't hit my third land drop after two ponders. <laughs> then again, I play Black Red Reanimator, which I pack 14 lands in, and in some games you really sit there with three, four lands, and you're just like, yeah, and you have no manipulation to 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 get there. Yeah, uh, so it might be a bit rough, but also. If you're if you're thinking about it, so let's think about you know actual possible games like games of legacy. This together with one Rootvala and one Vengevine puts 13 power into play with one lead. That's crazy, and you're already hitting for four on the first turn with the haste. If you have an anger with that, it's extremely quick lock. It's 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 un unraceable for a lot of decks. So the, the, just the sheer thing of getting an 8-4 into play, also you can do this in instant speed, like end of your opponent's turn, just crack lead. It's extremely disgusting. It kind of feels like Phyrexian Dreadnought Jr. It's just like this massive thing you can't bolt. So it's, it's super interesting, for sure. My second card was one of the first cards that got spoiled, I think. It's called Erut, Tormented Prophet. So it's, it's a legendary creature, human wizard, for one blue and a red. And it's a 2-4. It's a real giant spider. <laughs> no reach, though. But it's it's super interesting. So it, it has, if you would draw a card, exile t the top two cards of your library instead. You may play those cards this turn. And I have seen people speculate about how to build a deck with this. Whether it would be maybe in some sort of Ruby Storm or, you know, there are a lot of really efficient decks where you can maximize cards like this, like Faithless Looting. If you have zero cards in hand and play Faithless Looting, you just exile four cards that you can play. So it's, it's super interesting. And of course, what I'm looking at when I see a, a thing like this is how can I mess people up in a, in a janky deck? I'm thinking about, you know, 
how can I put these together with Hull Breacher, Anvil, and Chains? And just do some extremely nasty things with that, you know. Anvil is another card that I think might be extremely sweet with this. It might be not super good anymore, but I'll dream. <laughs> so yeah, those are those are my two cards. Uh, what do you think about Irrit? Yeah, I mean, I was also looking at this card for a potential pick for this discussion, obviously, because it's been talked about. And you can really see, I mean, there are so many interesting potentials here, like just brainstorming with this in play. I mean, it's, it's, that's the sort of the, the, the baseline, which is super interesting. Yeah, with zero, with zero cards in hand, brainstorm, just exile six. But on the other hand, of course, the challenge that everyone also needs to pass is how to put this into play. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the main problem, because it's two-color card for three mana, and the decks that want to utilize the ability, I see them not perhaps putting this down super quick. But then again, if we have Ragavan in the format, makes treasures, you can perhaps accelerate your mana through that or you can put this in sort of some kind of rug punishing thieves deck yeah yeah some kind of rug yeah. shell that has like birds of paradise and stuff like that for mana acceleration like a very different deck than sort of the obvious ones uh, because these as long as you play blue i mean you have access to brainstorm and ponder and you know whatnot so i think someone will find a way it's not going to be me because i sort of uh, sold my blue duels but it has potential for sure yeah, I mean, when I look at this card, I'm obviously thinking about coupling it with Red Rituals. That's sort of what the card screams. And uh, like some iterations of the of the Red Storm decks have been playing creatures like Burgi. Yeah. But I think Burgi is much easier to power out since it's too colorless and the red. So you can play it off your Ancient Tomb, for example. And I think that the blue pip here in the mana cost is going to be quite problematic to power it out quickly yeah i think i think one of the things that got me really pumped up was if you're playing a kind of you know these mono red like ruby storm-esque decks they are playing manamorphos and stuff like that right i can do that yes and uh, they're playing i think they're packing burning wishes and they have a like echo of eons in the in the sideboard i'm just thinking echo of eons with this card i was just gonna say echo of eons with this card that's a sweet line yeah because if if you go like turn one make a bunch of mana mana morphos this out led crack like the storm is always gonna be enough is this the moment when we splash red in high tide. Oof, you'll have to you'll have to talk with Trukis. He likes drawing cards, not exiling them. <laughs> so you'll have to you'll have to take it up with a with a draw cards, please. I, I like that notion because um, like high tide is much a slower storm deck or storm esque deck than like ruby storm. So like playing this on turn four is more reasonable in my opinion. Like you play your high tides, maybe you you like reset your your lands, and then you can play this and start drawing cards. Yeah, because high tide is sort of there's so much digging going on, and essentially with this card in play, you dig twice as deep because you want to be casting the cards. You dig the same turn anyway. So yeah, that's interesting. We'll uh, we'll have to hear from Trukis see if if he approves of this message. Yeah. <laughs> so for my side I've picked uh, I didn't cheat like Christopher I only picked cards from the actual core set 
the shade. The shade of it all. My first pick is uh, the best named card in this set, Faithbound Judge. Faithbound Judge is a 1-2 white, 4-4 four, four creature spirit soldier, defender, flying, vigilance. <laughs> At the beginning of your upkeep, if Faithbound Judge has two or fewer judgment counters on it, put a judgment counter on it. As long as Faithbound Judge has three or more judgment counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender, and it has a Disturb cost of five and two white. So of course it transforms when you cast it for your Disturb cost, and then it becomes Sinner's Judgment, which is an aura curse. Enchant player, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a judgment counter on Sinner's Judgment, then... If there are three or more judgment counters on it, enchanted player loses the game. If Sinner's Judgment will be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So this is obviously not a card that is very good in and of itself. So looking at it, but any card that has opponent loses the game if X is um, condition is fulfilled is always, of course, interesting. I mean, only last week we talked about the new iteration of Donate decks that uses the Liliana Pact, for example. So... I haven't figured out how to break this properly, but it is cool because it puts judgment counters on itself and it has the text opponent loses the game. And I think that's just sweet. Yeah, I mean, judgment counter. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, Victor, on the name. Like, sure, it's it's a good name, but it's better than Grolnok the Omnivore. I think not. <laughs> I mean, Grolnok the Omnivore... When you have the picture of Grolnok, the Omnivore, in front of you, sure, that's that's the lore win. But just the name, Fatebound Judge, I think, still is uh, the cleanest, most badass uh, name of a card. Grolno. This is a little bit tiresome argument, but uh, this card certainly goes into a Nickfit sideboard if you play the Living Wish, right? There we go. <laughs> oh my god, it so does. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, oh, I have to try this now. You are absolutely right, Robin. So then I have a pick that I think could actually make it into an existing archetype, which is Voice of the Blessed. Two white for a creature spirit cleric 2-2. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on Voice of the Blessed. As long as Voice of the Blessed has four or more plus one plus one counters on it, it has flying and vigilance. As long as Voice of the Blessed has ten or more plus one plus one counters on it, it has indestructible. And I think this perhaps could find its way into Soul Sisters, because I think it could grow really big there and just be another one of those really big creatures that are difficult to deal with if you have problems with the Soul Sisters deck. To begin with, of course, currently, I imagine Soul Sister is one of the many archetypes that is difficult to play in a Ragavan meta, because we aren't seeing it as much as we used to, and we didn't used to see much of it, because it is a fringe deck, of course. But I think this uh, this could probably at least be worth trying. And on the worth trying, we also have my last pick, which is Hamlet Vanguard. Two in a green for a 1-1 one, one human warrior that has Ward 2, and also has Hamlet Vanguard enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each other non-token human you control. And I remember that Legacy Humans was a hot thing for a minute there. And I think this could become a really big human in that deck if one was to be interested in having a big human in that deck. So these are two cards that I sort of, I think, could make it into archetypes that, that then again, I myself am not an expert of. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the the voice of the blessed uh, might be the card that has the biggest 
biggest advantage, but maybe not. You know, like Soul Sisters has kind of evolved into another uh, another archetype of decks, which is the the Heliod infinite combo decks. And you know, this is maybe not something that's needed because usually when that deck pops off, it gets a lot of life like infinite amount of life or whatever you want to. But what I do like about this creature is it's pretty good rate. <laughs> Just like, yeah, two, two for two. Sure, that might be a bit heavy, but when it gets two counters, it's out of bolt range. And if if your opponent has some stupid way to gain life, I'm thinking about not the Asmo decks, but there are so many like random token generating things these days that incidental value gain i was talking like before our last you know what from innistrad are you excited about i talked about the the celestial the artifact that you can when it comes into play it becomes day or something and then you have the whole day mechanic going on and whenever days become night or vice versa you gain one life and there are just so many random effects added to cards you know Uro, gain life. Scavenging ooze, gain life. Yeah, if you don't need your mana with your Gilded Goose, which is unplayable since Okovan, but still, like, gain life. There's a lot of accidental life gain, and I think that just having a card like this in a Jitta deck could be pretty nasty, actually. Yeah, because Jitta gains life. It might not be exactly where it needs to be, but I do like the, the power level of it, because... In a in an the exactly right shell, it can be really nice. But also, usually those decks are also the ones that get hammered pretty hard against the really tuned control decks and stuff like that. But I do like the design. Robin, any comments? Yeah, I'm going to say what I said when we uh, when we were looking at the last set. That I'm very happy about the power level. I think these cards they may slot into archetypes, but they will not like uh, completely change legacy forever. And I'm quite happy about that right now. So yeah, and uh, quite nice art in this set. Uh, actually, I've been looking through it a little bit, and it's looking quite good. Do you have a does does any one of you have a, like a favorite art or like something that you have seen that's just like ah oh, this this is sick. I mean, I think we're going to have to have a separate discussion on the basic lands from this set in another episode because I find them very interesting uh, art-wise. But that's too long for us to uh, to cover now in what we had hoped to be a shorter episode. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna light our listeners on fire. My top pick is the new Thalia art. There, I said it. Oh my god. So many people have said that this new Thalia art is is really nice. And from an objective standpoint, I have to of course agree. This is a beautiful piece of, of art. I however, you know, once in a while I go into boomer mode and I will just say that the the first Thalia art from Dark Ascension is just miles better than any other Talia art that has been put out there because it has its perfection. I respect you. <laughs> Although you you've previously on record said that you like the new frame and stuff like that. And now now suddenly you're all like, oh the old I'm I'm nostalgic about the old version. No no I have I have my Thalias in M twenty five, which is a newest frame. Oh shit. Yeah I re- editor retract that <laughs> quick. <laughs> we might edit that out. 
And that is all we have for this week. If you think this was a good podcast, please help us reach more legacy fans by telling a friend of yours. If you want to reach out to us, a great way is to join the Discord server. You can please find the link in the episode information. You could also hit us up on Twitter at Stockholm Legacy, S-T-H-L-M Legacy. We are present personally on some social media as well. Robin, where can listeners find you? You can find me on the Discord server. Yeah, you can find me on the Discord server as well. Or I'm also found at Twitter at MonolithMTG. And outside the Discord server, you'll find me on Twitter at DiscoDrogo. And that is the end of the 26th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sen and Christoph Wikström. Warm thank you to you for listening. The great Frönes has written our music. You can check them out on Spotify. Until next time, watch out for Boob Armor. <laughs>